Hi, it's, uh, my name's Graham. It's my privilege uh, to uh, do the teaching from God's Word uh, this afternoon. Um, in the uh, book of Leviticus, which was written by Moses, it's the third book in the Bible, if you start from the beginning. It's a book about uh, the holiness of God, actually. And uh, God makes this amazing promise. He says, I will walk among you and be your God. And you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then at the beginning of our reading in Matthew, um, John the Baptist, he says, But after me comes one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then in verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for voices raised in adoration. We do thank you for the privilege of prayer. And we do thank you for your word. Heavenly Father, your word is truth. And please help this Sinful man, Father, to preach your truth, your whole truth, and nothing but the truth, Father, and bless your people and encourage them, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, today we're continuing our series in uh, Matthew's Gospel. You remember that uh, Matthew is the first book in the second part of the Bible. We call it the New Testament And it's the first of four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that we call Gospels. And that word Gospel means good news. Uh, The Gospels, the good news, are uh, kind of unique, uh, kind of historical biographies of Jesus' life. And uh, uh, Matthew may have written this kind of historical biography, but he has a definite purpose in writing. Because right from the start... He gives us authoritative teaching about Jesus. He wants to persuade you who Jesus is and what he's come to do. But more than that, he wants you to meet Jesus. He wants you to be transformed, to be changed. And uh, Matthew's gospel is the good news of fulfilment. That's why he uses lots and lots of quotes from the Old Testament He's actually saying to us, that Old Testament, actually, it's all about Jesus. And I'll come back to that a little later. As we turn to verse 13 of chapter 3, uh, we read, Then Jesus came. And this afternoon, I just want to remind you of two things, who Jesus is and why he came. And I want to remind you uh, that uh, we've already learned some amazing things. Uh, about Jesus from Matthew. There we are. The first is his name, Jesus. Uh, If you turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, uh, Mary is pregnant, Joseph knows the baby isn't his, and he decides to break off their engagement quietly. Uh, But an angel comes to Joseph in a dream, He explains that Mary is a virtuous young woman and actually she's fulfilling God's purposes. 
And the angel says, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So unlike those of you who had children or have children, none of that endless searching through baby name books, none of those arguments over much loved and sometimes much fought over family uh, names, this baby is given uh, a name by God through the angel. And it's a name full of meaning, saviour. He will save his people from their sins. His God-given name, Jesus, means saviour. So who is Jesus? He is saviour. And then right at the beginning of Matthew, in verse 1 of chapter 1, we have his ancestry. It says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we have um, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to speak of Jesus as the Christ? You know, that word Christ is one of the most important uh, basic words in a Christian's vocabulary. It comes from a Greek word meaning anointed. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. So to be the Christ or the Messiah is to be the anointed one of God. Uh, To be anointed literally is to have sacred oil poured on your head. Because God has chosen you for a special task. So priests were anointed and kings were anointed and occasionally prophets. Kings sat there and had oil poured over their heads during their kind of coronation. They weren't crowned. Can you imagine uh, our queen having oil poured? It wouldn't go with the hairdo, would it? And all that money they spend on hairdressers. So oil poured over the head. So who is Jesus? He is saviour and he's God's anointed one. And then Matthew tells us that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Um, And he gives this family tree, doesn't he? Showing that Jesus is a descendant of both Abraham and David. Now those links to Abraham and David are very significant to Jewish people at that time. And they're very significant as well to us today. Not just if you're a family history geek. Let me tell you why. You see, in Genesis 12, we read this. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, God made the world. He made humanity to enjoy his world. But our parents, Adam and Eve, they rejected God. And as a result, evil entered into the world and we came under God's judgment. But God, in his love and his grace and his mercy, he promised blessing. And God came to this man, Abraham, And promised that that blessing would come from Abraham's family. He promised Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation. That he'd give them a land where they'd enjoy God's presence. And all nations would be blessed by one of his children. And Matthew is saying right at the beginning of his book, right in verse 1. Look, 
That descendant of Abraham that you've been waiting for, that saviour from Abraham's family that God promised, he's here. Jesus is God's promised blessing. So, right from verse 1, Matthew is saying, Jesus is the fulfilment of God's promised blessing to Abraham. Uh, And just as God made a promise to Abraham, we call it a covenant promise, he also made a covenant promise to David in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Nathan, he was a prophet who spoke God's word to God's people. um, And he came to David, who was the king of God's people. And he gave him this message from God. Uh, He said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, they had a a wonderful way of saying you're going to die, don't they? Um, I will raise up your offspring after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. God promises that Solomon, David's son, will reign in David's place when David dies, and Solomon will build a house for God. But the promise goes way beyond uh, Solomon. Verse 13 says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his, uh, sorry, the throne of his kingdom forever. And then in verse 16 he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Three times God promises a forever king coming from David's family. And Matthew is saying, look, that descendant of David that you've been waiting for, that forever king from David's family that God promised, is here. Jesus is God's promised king who will reign forever. Who is Jesus? His saviour? He's God's anointed one? He's the fulfilment of God's promise of blessing to Abraham? And he's the forever, the eternal king promised to David. And then in chapter 1, uh, verse 22 and 23, right at the end of Joseph's dream, uh, all this took place, it said, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew tells us that this son to be born to Mary and Joseph is God with us. And he does it using this quote from the prophet Isaiah. The Jewish people, they would have recognised that Isaiah's Emmanuel was God who was with his people, who owned his people, who protected his people, uh, known as Israel. Matthew says, God with us to tell us about Jesus. In Jesus, God himself became a human being. And God with us actually is a theme of Matthew because God uh, with us is there in chapter 1, right at the beginning. And the very last verse of Matthew, Jesus, God the Son, says this, I am with you always. God is with his people. Uh, You know, the Bible often talks about uh, God being with his people uh, and the common Hebrew word for God's presence, it means face-to-face. It means up-close and personal. Um, an up-close and personal encounter with Almighty God. Adam and Eve, they knew God's presence in the Garden of Eden. 
At the Exodus, when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, he was with them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And in their desert wanderings and when they settled in their life in the promised land, God was with them in the tabernacle and later in the temple. But now Matthew tells us that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God himself. So who is Jesus? His saviour. He's God's anointed one. He's the fulfilment of God's uh, blessing of a saviour to Abraham. He's the forever eternal king promised to David. And he's God who's broken into human history in person to be with us in Jesus. Jesus is the God who is saviour king. And that's who Jesus is. Now let's look at what he came to do. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. Uh, Jesus came from Galilee. Mark tells us it was from Nazareth. About a three day journey, 60 miles. Uh, didn't hop on the tube or the bus. He walked all the way, no doubt in the heat of the day. And he came to be baptised by John. But John's a bit unhappy. Verse 14, John tried to hinder him, tried to deter him. He said, I need to be baptised by you, and you come to me? You see, John had been preaching a baptism of repentance for sin. People had listened to him. They were convicted of their sins. Uh, they repented, uh, and they baptised. But when Jesus came to John... It wasn't as a sinner who needed to repent. You see, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is completely without sin. He is absolutely sinless. And actually, the reality is, if he's not sinless, then we don't have a gospel. But Jesus is sinless. John had been looking into the faces of all these people who flocked to him... Uh, people whose faces were filled with uh, guilt and remorse and sadness... Because they recognised that they were sinners. But when Jesus came, John saw that someone he described in verse 11, someone far greater than he was. Someone so much greater than John uh, that he wasn't even worthy uh, to be the lowest of his slaves, the slave who would carry his master's uh, sandals. In Jesus' face, John saw the one who was coming in salvation and judgment. The one he'd uh, said he was ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. The one that would clean up the threshing floor, would gather his wheat into the barn, but burn the chaff with everlasting fire. And as John stands before Jesus, he just sees his own sinfulness. And his own need, actually, to be baptised by Jesus. He doesn't want to do it. How can I, he thinks, baptise Jesus? Uh, but Jesus came to be baptised, and Jesus came to fulfil all righteousness. Verse 15, Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. And then John consented. The idea of fulfilling all righteousness doesn't mean that Jesus had been unrighteous. 
It simply means that Jesus is committing himself to do God's will for him, to meet the standard which is the will of God. In Psalm 40, again in the Old Testament, that's a, a what we call a messianic psalm, a, a psalm about Jesus, we read this. A body you have prepared for me. Here I am. I have come. It is written for me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. No one could say those words more meaningfully or more appropriately than the Lord Jesus. The Father had prepared a body for him. We think about that at Christmas, the incarnation. Uh, Scripture sets out the will of God for him. Not just rules on how to live, but what his work would be. And Jesus came to do the will and the work of God the Father. And I wonder, as he was being baptised by John, I wonder if in his head, in his mind, he was saying, A body, Father, you've prepared for me. Here I am. I've come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. So Jesus came to be baptised by John, to fulfil all righteousness, and finally to give us divine approval. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. I want to remind you of what I said at the beginning, that Matthew is the gospel of fulfilment. He shows how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies. Let me show you another way that Jesus does that. In chapter 2, after the visit of the wise men, Herod uh, threatens to kill all the baby boys, and Jesus escapes. And we read this in chapter 2. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night, and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfil what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, Matthew's original readers, on reading that, they would immediately have thought of an event in Jewish history. God's great rescue, the Exodus. God's people, there were slaves in Egypt. And they were led out of Egypt by Moses after God, through the plagues, had defeated Pharaoh. Jesus came out of Egypt. This is the beginning of the new exodus, the new rescue. You see, the exodus people passed through the Red Sea into the desert. Where is John the Baptist preaching? Verse, th- verse Chapter 3 and verse 1. He's in the desert. And God led his Exodus people into the promised land through what river? The river Jordan. And where is John baptizing? In the river Jordan. And God took his Exodus people into the promised land through the river Jordan, led by a man called Joshua. And the name Jesus is the common Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. 
And Jesus is called God's son. This is my son, says God. That's what God called the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. My son. And if you go into next week, when Jai's preaching, they were in the wilderness for 40 years, and Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. It would be crystal clear to Matthew's original readers that Matthew is echoing God's mighty rescue of his people in the Exodus. That God's model of salvation at the Exodus is being fulfilled by Jesus. That a new and better Exodus is here. That a new and better Moses, a new and better Joshua has arrived on the scene. Let's look at what our verses tell us about this new and better Exodus. And it's about approval and it's about affection, and it's about love. I think many of us spend our lives, you know, trying to win the approval of others. God created us as beings to have relationships with one another. I'm a bit of a hermit myself, but I still need people around me. Um, And we long for good relationships with other people, don't we? Parents, peers, bosses, workmates, employers, neighbours, church family, family, friends. We work hard to get the approval of others because deep down we want to be loved, to have the affection of others. And approval and affection and love, they're crucial in our lives. And nowhere, nowhere is that love and affection more important to us than the relationship, I believe, between a parent and a child. I'm not uh, a trick cyclist. I don't, I'm, I don't study the mind or anything. I'm not a psychologist. I can't, uh, I can't. But it does seem to me that if a child isn't loved by parents, there are big, big consequences. I did some work in uh, London with uh, Baby P. Um, it's very sad, some of the stuff I read. Perhaps your experience of your earthly father wasn't a good one. Maybe you longed for affection and love, emotionally, mentally, physically, but you were met with coldness or, or silence or criticism and comparison. But here in our passage, well, I don't know, Perhaps you were given stuff as a substitute. You know, as human beings, we find it easy to make a God in our own image, in our own experience. We expect God to respond to us in the same way. Coldness or silence or criticism or comparison. But this is surprising in our passage. Actually, it seems a bit of a letdown at first. Matthew's built up our expectation of the saviour king coming, coming in glory and judgment and with blessing. Where he comes, walks from Galilee. He's baptised by John in the Jordan. No great displays of power and glory. No choirs of angels. No awesome earthquakes. No terrifying whirlwinds. No fiery thunderbolts. Just a still, small voice, as it were. You know, we expect God, who is Saviour King, 
to arrive in a mighty cavalcade, don't we? You know, think of uh, President Obama. Dozens of armed security men. We all wear them sunglasses. They make an exclusion zone. 500 metres around. Clear the pool. Uh, the red carpet uh, to walk to the river. Marble steps never been walked on before. But not before the water's been tested. A filtration plant installed upstream so the water's crystal clear. And that John, what's he wearing? Poor tie on. Get a haircut. What do you mean you've only got locusts and wild honey? We expect a king to come with pomp and ceremony. But our God, our saviour king, he enters the story not with great displays of glory, but by wading into the muddy waters of the Jordan. And he joins the broken and the messy people. He walks from the backwater of Galilee And he gets into this river and he stands there dripping wet, surrounded by wet, muddy, broken, sinful people. In the autumn of 1976, I moved to a new house in Doncaster. It was the only house on the street that had been completed. And at Christmas on Boxing Day, I believe it was, the drains blocked. The sinks wouldn't empty. The toilet wouldn't flush and we hadn't got a bean. I went outside and took off the drain cover and it was full to overflowing. So I went to the next plot downstream and I took off the drain cover and it was dry and empty. And I managed to work out that somewhere there was a blockage between my home and that one. I explored this building site because there was nobody about at all and I found a thick steel cable. It was about 30 feet long and it weighed a ton. It was really heavy but I managed to drag it to the dry manhole and the drain was about six feet down so I, I kind of lowered this thing down and I managed to kind of work it up and down. 20 feet in, the blockage released and the drain was cleared. And I thought my troubles were over. I thought this is just. But as I carefully pulled the steel cable out of the drain, all the sewage on the cable transferred to me. And suddenly I was covered with sewage. I smelled awful. I wasn't fit to be in the company of man or beast within a 10 mile radius, never mind a 500 metre exclusion. 10 miles you could smell me. But let me tell you, however unfit I was outwardly to be with the rest of creation right then, inwardly, my sin makes me infinitely more unfit to be in the presence of an infinitely holy God. But Jesus came He walks from the backwater of Galilee and he gets in the river and he stands there dripping wet, surrounded by wet and muddy and broken sinful people like me and for me. You know, this is a picture of a wonderful saviour king. Not a saviour who is cold and distant, but a saviour who draws near. And not a saviour who is silent but a saviour who speaks to us in our need. Not a saviour who criticises and compares, but a saviour who comes to be with us in our brokenness. Not a saviour who gives us stuff, 
but a saviour who gives us himself and as soon as Jesus was baptised he went up out of the river at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased the Christian God is a trinity I hope you heard Luke Harding a few weeks ago speaking about the trinity he'll do it much better than I ever could if you haven't then please go on the website and have a listen to it Uh, Luke will tell you uh, I will tell you the trinity is a mystery to us Um, what we do know is something about life in the Godhead God is three persons yet one God Father, Son and Spirit and they live in a community of perfect love and uh, God the Son is there standing in the River Jordan well actually he's just got out but he's there and uh, the voice of God speaks my son he says and the Holy Spirit depends, descends on Jesus. And what does the Father declare? It's a message of divine approval. This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It's a picture of eternal love. You see, the Father has always delighted in his Son. He's always loved his Son. But remember where Jesus is when the Father pronounces his divine approval he's dripping wet he's covered in the mud of the Jordan he's surrounded by broken and sinful people that's where the divine uh, verdict of approval is given you see this is not a God who expects you to make yourself spotless before he'll deal with you this is a God in the midst of our mess And in the midst of our mess, God delivers his verdict of divine love. Trying to get approval, you know, it can be exhausting. And it can be in vain. And sometimes we're slaves to the approval of others. Trying to prove that we're worthy of approval, worthy of affection, worthy of love. And the good news is, that you don't have to wear yourself out trying to win God's approval. Because for those of us who trust in Jesus as our representative, who trust in Jesus as our saviour king, well, the Father's verdict on Jesus becomes the verdict on us. That divine approval, that divine affection, that divine love which the Father declares on his Son is true of us in him we are swept up into the life of the love of God in Christ we are God's children whom he loves with us he is well pleased as Christians we've no need to be slaves to the approval of others we're set free to live lives as people who have divine approval who have divine affection who have divine love through the Lord Jesus 
But as we read on in Matthew's Gospel, we see that that divine approval comes at a very significant cost. As we hear that voice of divine approval, this is my son whom I love with him, I'm well pleased. We hear echoes of the Old Testament, which speaks of the future son of God that brings salvation, that that salvation will come through judgment. And later in Matthew, we see that God brings us into a relationship with himself, but that relationship comes through judgment. And Jesus' baptism foreshadows how Jesus will bear our judgment for us so that we can be united with God. See, Jesus doesn't just identify with us. Jesus, as it were, takes our place. The baptism of Jesus is the beginning of the exchange of his life for the life of a sinner like me. And at the end of Matthew... We see him take our place on the cross. We see him take our judgment. We see him bear our punishment as the ultimate sign of divine approval, divine affection, divine love for us. That divine approval, that divine affection, that divine love is ours in Christ because of the cross. Matthew wrote his gospel to show us who Jesus is. And what he's come to do. God, the Saviour King, coming so that we might have the blessing of divine approval. Knowing that the Father loves us and welcomes us into his presence. I wonder if this afternoon you see this Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Perhaps you don't. Perhaps you're not sure. Well, if you're like that, I do hope that you'll stick with us as we go through Matthew to discover more about who Jesus is. The Matthew of John the Baptist and Jesus was repent. Turn to God, wherever you're at. Turn to God. That's the call to all of us. If you haven't done that yet, you've nothing to lose and everything to gain. And if you're a Christian, then perhaps you can rejoice And be very grateful that the Father's verdict on you is one of approval and affection and love. Not because of who you are, not because of anything that you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In Leviticus, God said, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. And Jesus came. John the Baptist said, After me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then Jesus came, walking among us. He came to the Jordan to be baptised by John. A new and better Moses. A new and better Joshua. To lead a new and better Exodus rescue. And to gain for us the Father's approval and affection and love. And the amazing thing is that right now, right now, Christian brother and sister, at this very moment, whatever kind of week you've had, whatever problems you face in the week ahead, whatever kind of mess you've made of your life, You are God the Father's child. 
when he loves you and with you even with you he is well pleased